Welcome to the AD Aesthete, hosted by me, Mitch Owens, Decorative Arts Editor of Architectural Digest. Though we live in a world dominated by machines and the products they make, the worlds of architecture and design find solace in natural materials tooled by hand, plaster, stone, wood, and more. The American College of the Building Arts in Charleston, South Carolina, is a small school with a big mission to keep traditional craftsmanship alive and well. Joining me today to talk about the college is architect and designer William H. Bates III, Chair of Architecture and Allied Arts Departments, as well as Joe Wissenant, one of its graduates, who recently put his experience to work on the restoration of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. I hope you enjoy the show. Joe Wisenant. Tell me about Joe the development of the American College of Building okay. Arts. I would have thought Thank that you very much. Bye. what the school offers and has offered for quite some time is already built into architectural curriculums of various kinds around the country, if not the world. Well, Mitch, uh, things have changed since World War II. And, uh, <laughs> Most curriculums have been uh, bleaching these types uh, of educations out of their curriculum, really, for the last 30 or 40 years. Why is that? GI Bill, returning from World War II, putting a lot of people into the college system, which uh, had not been the case before World War II. And so I think that there may have been a sense of separating the thinkers from the doers. Mm. And... Uh, for education prior to that, uh, from time immemorial, uh, thinking and doing were always uh, done together. And uh, it seems to me that the American education system, especially, decided to start separating those things out. And the advent of the, of the craft school or the mechanics uh, concepts start rising up in the mid-century. When did the school start and why was it thought that a, it would be in Charleston, and B, that it was necessary to bring back the hand. Well, Hurricane Hugo really was uh, the impetus for it. Uh, 1989, Charleston was struck by a catastrophic uh, hurricane that destroyed a lot of the historic uh, fabric of the city. And as, the, uh, as Charleston started putting itself back together, they realized that there was a real shortage of craftspeople in the area, in the region, in the United States to fulfill this massive reconstruction that needed to be done. And so what started out as a small training program after Hugo morphed into a school, and then by 2004, the American College of the Building Arts, which is uh, America's first four-year liberal arts degree that has fused together that typical liberal arts program, math, English, science, business classes, with a typical trade school, and mm -hmm. sort of knitting those things back together uh, that uh, in, a, in a school-like situation that would uh, have been a, a 19th or an 18th or even 17th or 16th century right. uh, idea. Joe, what attracted you to the school? Were you already interested in ironwork? Well, I did carpentry growing up, nothing too crazy or anything, just 
kind of screwing around in my grandfather's shop kind of thing. And uh, I actually visited the school my junior year of high school because my mom saw it. There was an article in um, Southern Living Magazine about it. Mm-hmm. And she read it and she was like, this seems like something that you'd be really interested in. And went down, visited, and I ended up not going after I graduated high school. I ended up going to UNC Charlotte and uh, I did a year of physics and I just kind of realized I didn't really want to, you know, do paperwork, you know, like sit in a lab and just, I wanted to be moving is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And so after I kind of got the idea of what my options were in a run-of-the-mill college, I decided to go down to ACBA, originally planning to do woodworking. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I was just really drawn in by the ironwork. I, I hadn't really seen it before because I grew up in, you know, inner city Charlotte. So like, there's not a lot of blacksmiths, you know, floating around that area. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I saw it, I was like, you know, this is something that really uh, grabs my attention. And that just started, you know, started doing it after that. Was it the material? Was it the technique? Was it just that it was so different from woodworking, that it was something new to learn? I guess it's just the way that the material moves. Whereas in woodworking, you're really just, it's just, you're removing material. It's stock removal. Mm-hmm. But in the, in the blacksmithing and the forging, you're heating it up and you're physically changing the shape, not by taking away or putting on your moving it around and that's just I don't know it's just it's very captivating I guess Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I went down to the college William I don't know how many years ago that Mm. was you were in the old building that wonderful crazy 19th century out of Edgar Allan Poe creepy (laughs) wonderful building (laughs) and I was completely captivated by going from studio to studio and seeing plaster work, seeing blacksmithing, seeing wood carving, seeing all of these young people doing physical labor, but creating these incredibly beautiful objects and taking you back into like you said, a, a centuries-old vocabulary of, of how things were done, the sort of things that you know architects and builders of the past knew how to do. I think that really was uh, much of the premise as we were pulling all this together. The board was uh, assembling a team, and I was uh, lucky enough to be invited as one of the founding faculty of the college. And we were busy trying to sort out what the curriculum looked like. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of the professors who are trained in Europe and certainly all trained in traditional method were uh, bringing to the table these old ideas and, of course, fusing them with modern technology. And I said, well, it's so terribly important that we also have a, a part of the curriculum that teaches architectural history, so they'll understand context and style. We also offer two classes in uh, design, uh, a design, typical design studio. It's uh, architecture for non-architects, if that mm. uh, makes sense, so that they can understand how to read a blueprint, uh, how to put together a design. Uh, if there's not an architect or a designer on staff, this gives them the opportunity to 
think about their design in a, in, in a stylistic way. Mm. What sort of different programs? I mean, I, I, I threw in a few, but what, what are the, the numbers of programs? What did I leave out? Sure. Oh, well, Mitch, you left nothing out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, architectural carpentry and timber framing, preservation. Timber masonry. framing was amazing to me. Yes. To see that studio. Can you explain to people who might not know what timber framing is? Because to me, I was, I was, I think you all were building something that completely blew me away. Yes, no doubt. Uh, that's what most of our visitors say when they come and everybody's welcome. Timber framing, I always think of as big wood. Uh, it literally is, especially from a medieval standpoint, uh, pre-19th century standpoint, the way buildings were framed, wooden buildings were framed. And this is large timber, uh, not stick-built uh, 19th century framing uh, that we still essentially use today for uh, residential, small-scale So we're talking about projects. like the roof of Notre Dame. Exactly. We're talking yeah. about exactly the new roof of Notre Dame. Joe, don't you have some insights? I worked uh, at Atelier Saint-Jacques for a year last year, part of the after, uh, founding. After graduation. After graduation. Remind me when you graduated. It. 2018. Yeah. After the, uh, the fire, two weeks later, the shop got a call that they wanted them to assemble a team to go up to Notre Dame and take down some of the ironwork that was holding in the stained glass. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get chosen to be part of that. So I got to go up there. And the, unfortunately, there's not a lot of the timber frame left up there. A lot right. of it's fallen down. But I, got, I did get to see some of the stuff up in uh, Chapeau, Chapelle Royale at mm -hmm. uh, the Palace of Versailles. And it's, it's still intact, but that timber framing is, it's incredibly large beams, just, you know, almost square trees that are holding this entire roof structure together mm -hmm. with all these compound angles and everything. So. And all mortise and tenon together and essentially yeah. together with wooden pegs. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful method and very popular today. When we started the college, uh, I think we all imagined ourselves as a restoration program where we would be, I mean, born out of Hugo and right. uh, fixing Charleston. Uh, we imagined ourselves as a restoration school, but that uh, was our big surprise in terms of students going off into new construction and green build uh, because mm -hmm. this movement is coming about and all of the methodology that's uh, taught at the school is essentially about as, it's about as green as you can get. <laughs> How big is the, the school body? We have about 100 students in the four-year program. Mm. So it's a very small school. I personally like it that way. So it keeps uh, the student-teacher ratio nice and tight. We can spend a lot of time with each other and sort through uh, Different, uh, different problems that the students have and help them along their way. Like I said, it is a four-year program. It's not nearly enough time, but it's, it's a, good, a good length of time for them to get the skills that they need to move forward. Because what the school is teaching is very much historically what would have been learned as apprentices. Yes, Under absolutely. senior craftsmen. Absolutely. I, uh, I think of it as... Um, uh, Henry Ford sort of, uh, you know, we're, we brought all of the, uh, the masters into one spot and we're just kind of moving the students mm -hmm. past them all uh, rather than having an apprenticeship with one master and one, uh, uh, one apprentice. We're able to right. sort of move these kids uh, mm -hmm. through the system. 
Now, do the students spread their talents across departments or are they really focused on one particular craft? The specializations do have them focus on one craft. We, uh, we do try to have them do a little tiny bits. And because we are so small, I think some things, Joe, you could probably speak to the yeah. real truth on that. <laughs> I imagine it from my end, from the administrative end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a mix of everything because you're right next door to a shop that's works of a completely different material. Mm. And I know now that the school offers a lot of uh, electives or classes that are open to the public too. Some of them that have, you know, different, I guess, masters of a certain specialization, whether it's repousse or a certain type of stonework or something that you can really kind of cross trade. So there's a lot of, you know, woodworking uh, specialized students who will go over and they'll do some repousse leaf work and make mm. Bronze leaves and stuff. So there is that mix. And that's why, you know, the school's so interesting is it's not just like a welding school where it's just mm-hmm. welders. And then if you want to, you know, get into a different medium, then that jump to get there is more difficult than just walking one wall over and just talking to somebody who's been, you know, teaching and doing this for most of their life. Right. So when you came in and you started working with the ironwork, what was the biggest challenge at the beginning of working with that material, which was obviously captivating, as you said, yeah. but not something you'd worked with before? Yeah. I guess the trying to treat a hammer as an extension of your body, because it may seem like a really you know rough movement when you're watching somebody you know, forge something out, but it's Mm -hmm. very precise and learning how to have, you know, almost the same precision precision you have with a pen as you do with a a three pound piece of steel at the end of a wooden stick. It's, that's really the most (laughs) difficult part of it is training your body to hone in these really fine movements with something that is pretty gross in a sense. (laughs) One of the courses that I insisted on early on was technical drafting. And uh, we teach the freshmen, all the freshmen that come in take, uh, for the most part, all of the classes that uh, my department offers. One of them was technical drafting. And the idea of working on those fine motor skills, improving the, uh, the mind and the hand connection. And uh, I like to think if they can learn to operate a pencil, and that will help them with a three-pound uh, hammer on the end of a wooden stick. <laughs> yeah. What was the reaction within the educational community, William, with the starting of this school? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm sort of curious because yeah. it's such an old-fashioned yes. way to think and work in this day and age where everything is so mechanized and we're in a world of 3d printing and we're in the world of CAD and we're all of these other highly technical, really rather brilliant technologies that at the same time, keep you at a distance from the actual material and the, and the, the shaping of the material. 
I think naivete got us a long way forward in the first <laughs> years. None of us knew anything about founding a college. Uh, most of the people who founded colleges had been dead for 300 years. And so um, I don't think we paid attention really to what uh, the naysayers might have said. Uh, certainly mm -hmm. some of those things uh, certainly came across, but it didn't deter us uh, from our, our, our course. And I think that's probably good that it didn't. And we just kept kind of beating our drum and making it, uh, making it work. The nice thing about the school is like the hand drafting, for instance, or drawing from the plaster cast or from the live model, these things are done in the first year or two of, mm -hmm. of the class. We have CAD, we have Revit, uh, mercifully, they don't learn it from me. <laughs> so I don't think that, I don't, we don't uh, intend to produce Luddites, right? We want right. to uh, have a well-rounded craftsman. Uh, we want industry leaders, uh, truly, someone that can take this information and move it forward through their life and learn and add to but we want them able to step into uh, really amazing positions upon graduation. Mm. And we've been very lucky over the last four or five years. Uh, we know that all of our graduates, uh, our four-year graduates are, are stepping into jobs within their field, 100% job placement in the last mm. few years. So we're very proud of that skill set that is, is being disseminated around the world. Joe, what was your thought when you came into the school or decided to, to en en enter the college. Where did you see yourself after graduation? I mean, what did you see as your career path? I guess I didn't, uh, I didn't really have a specific path. I knew I eventually wanted to open up my own shop and do uh, you know, medium to small scale, like architectural interior elements, mm -hmm. you know, lighting fixtures, fireplace grills, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But as far for a specific avenue, uh, initially, I really didn't have any idea because uh, in blacksmithing, especially, there's uh, a lot of different, very particular niches. Like uh, you can go to Colonial Williamsburg and focus on a specific, you know, preservation style of metalworking, mm -hmm. or you can go to a large fabrication shop and do, you know, large spiral staircases and huge gates and stuff like that or you can take a more artistic route and go to uh, the metal museum and work there do an apprenticeship and work with the uh, artists who come out of the uh, Carbondale program or at Southern Illinois University of Carbondale. I guess when I graduated I knew I kind of want to go into the preservation direction mm -hmm. and uh, that's kind of what led me to uh, accept the position in France with all that, just because I know that they did a lot of, you know, really great preservation work out there. So that's kind of where I decided initially and where I'm still kind of staying. Because mm -hmm. that just seems like a really rich field, the preservation field, not not only in the the actual restoration work, but the methodology, the culture, the... Um, you know, recreations of things as well as uh, exploring new ways of creating these, these sort of older models. Mm -hmm. well, using those techniques uh, mm -hmm. create entirely new things too. Right. So it, it is about learning, at least at this school, it is about focusing on old techniques mm -hmm. uh, as a catalyst and then applying new technology, of course. But uh, I 
think the I think the stone department, the plaster uh, department, all of all of them would uh, would agree that uh, would would agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. So how many departments are there altogether? I know we started about that earlier a little bit because then I cut you off after architectural framework and yes, timber, we had, uh, timber, timber framing, framing which got me excited. Yeah, <laughs> timber framing and carpentry. Uh, and then uh, preservation, masonry, stone carving, plastering, and then, of course, ironworking. And we've recently added a, uh, a new specialization in classical architecture and design for those that uh, wanted to uh, spend a little more time at the drafting table mm-hmm. and maybe a little less time in the, uh, the sweaty shops in the back. <laughs> but uh, we, we're a bit of a grubby crew, but we're okay with that. You know? Now, I know that you as I was saying earlier about that incredibly romantic building that you all were in. And I really yes. did find it romantic, crumbling oh, and romantic. Crumbling. Yes. Um, Walpole couldn't have done a better job. <laughs> it was this big Gothic revival, little inner city castle. It was. That was sort mm-hmm. of crumbling before your eyes. <laughs> it was originally yeah. designed by Robert Mills in 1802, but that building was sort of embedded in this um, kind of uh, 1870s uh, mm-hmm. revival building. Yeah, it was it was a Warren of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was actually like what what is the word? I'm going to get it all wrong, but it, it was like if you saw it in black and white drawings, it sort of reminded you of, of a Panopticon. Ah, you know, yeah. it was like this sort of rather scary um, uh, series of dark spaces. <laughs> we'll do another one on the ghost uh, the ghost tours. Yeah, why don't you do that? That would be. We'll good. talk all about that another day. <laughs> but um, we but were, you moved into a new building. Yes, and I I was going to say I don't really miss that old building so much, <laughs> multiple reasons, but it did provide us the uh, much of the finances to restore a new building, the uh, Charleston Trolley Barn from about 1897, I think. Does that sound about right, Joe? Yes, I think so. Close, <laughs> and. Uh, we uh, were able to insert a new bespoke facility for us mm-hmm. that really answers, I would say it answers all of the questions that we had at the time. We've been in it now three and a half years or so for, and we're, we're kind of already out of space. So we're busy. Um, we've got our eyeballs on the, uh, the property to the north of us to see if we can add that to, uh, to benefit us. But, so what were the drawbacks of the old building? I mean, and aside from any number of material reasons, I suppose. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of that Warren uh, aspect of it, that rabbit Warren aspect, where the rooms were a little, there was plenty of square footage, but the right. walls were very thick and the windows are very small and the rooms are very tiny and odd shaped. And so there's a lot of wasted space. The trolley barn is one big basilica form, rectangular building. And we were able to insert uh, spaces that uh, suit the t- individual tasks better. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but it's it's so much better. Yeah. There's no uh commuting out to James Island to go to the other yes, shops. Exactly. But, Joe, explain that to me. me. Joe, what is that? So when we were in the jail, uh just because there wasn't enough space for all the trades to have their shop space there. Oh wait, there and it really a, was a jail, correct? It yeah, was. it was a jail. There there is a reason that I felt like it was scary. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a jail. Okay. But uh, there was uh, rented shop spaces out, I don't know, 30-minute drive away from the jail. So that was obviously quite a bit of a strain. You had to decide whether you're going to have 
a day in the drafting room or a day in the shop, whereas now it's, you know, you can bounce back between the two if mm-hmm. you want. Much more fluid space now. Right. Mm-hmm. I haven't been down to see the new building, but I'm, I, I sort of followed its acquisition and improvements uh, with a great deal of, of interest in the local press as well as on the school's website. We can't wait to have you. You know, it was funny going down there. It was what I do as a, as a writer and an editor is, is often at one remove and rather a, a large remove. You know, I see finished spaces. I, I don't usually come in to a space at, at the start or even in the middle. And what intrigued me so much about the school is what is sort of a secret interest of mine, and that is the process. I don't care so much about the finished material, the finished project, but I like to know how it got there and how, how long it took, what the hand was doing, like you were saying, the extension of you know, the, the hammer and working with iron. Those techniques I find really fascinating, almost in many ways alchemical. They're sort of mysterious to me. And I find what the school teaches to be magical in a lot of ways. I think we've gotten so away from. Yes, we really have. How things are made. It's important to, uh, I think for all the students that come, that is something, that's the reason that they come to the college because Mm. they have this innate interest in making things and wanting to understand that process and to build it. It's um, kinesthetics, you know, Mm -hmm. if you want to use that word, where you're sort of learning about um, motion and muscle memory and movement and what that can bring to the table in terms of creating Mm. an object. And most of the things that the students are creating are really about, it's, uh, we're building arts. It is about, a lot of this is about interiors, even the, mm-hmm. the timber framing. Uh, there are certainly uh, completely timber framed houses being built, but uh, the most popular version, of course, is the timber framed double-heighted living room or an right. interior sort of space. Ironwork can certainly be on the outside of a building as easily mm-hmm. as it can be on the inn all of these things are sort of residentially scaled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. an interesting idea to think about how those all fit together in this kind of haptic world right. that we, we've created. I know Charleston obviously is, is full of extraordinary historic buildings. And how much time in the school are the students going to see actual historic um, structures, uh, whether they're preserved or whether they're under, under renovation or, or even replications of, of historic buildings. Sure. Is it constant? Well, as you know, Charleston has the largest historic district in the nation. And so it is a learning laboratory for us. Joe, you can probably speak to some of the actual kind of hands-on projects that you participated in while you were here. With our CAD class, we actually did a, uh... I guess a drawing for uh, the uh, there was a historic building by the uh, the naval base in North Charleston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So part of our class was to you know create and uh, document this building that pretty sure it's it, it was sent to the National Park Service, but yeah. I can't speak for certain. And I know there were 
other CAD classes that continued on that. And did, I know one of them ended up in the Library of Congress. I don't know the name of the exact building. I wasn't in that class, but, and for the iron work as well, I know my freshman year, we helped our professor make some um, historic hasps for uh, the slave houses for one of the plantations on James Island in the Charleston area. So we some of those fittings for that museum. Yes. Right. So there's a lot of give and take between the community and the school. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, love, we love to engage. The types of projects that we can take on for other nonprofits are limited in, in so much as that it has to fit in with the curriculum, but that is sort of up to the, um, the professors, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a record for the classes. And if they can, if they're interested in bringing something like that into their class and it fits in with the curriculum, because of course, we are a, an accredited liberal arts college. The you know, Department of Education requires us to uh, accomplish certain tasks over the course of the right. semester. We can't just kind of go off and do whatever. Uh, we have to, um, to fit within a little bit of uh, criteria as we move forward each semester. So what are some of the houses, let's just say in the area, that your students have helped with? Well, two of them, uh, recently, we were featured on This Old House, uh, where we worked with the developer and builder of two different projects uh, with them, and were part of that uh, very popular television show. The list really kind of, after, you know, 15 years as a college and six or so years prior to that, you know, working with the community, the list goes on and on, mm-hmm. really. And I encourage anyone that's interested to see the website or reach out to us. We can walk you through it. William, what got you interested in what you do? I mean, I know, you're, I know you are one of the most passionate and eloquent people I've ever met on the subject of historical architecture, classical architecture. And I just would love to know how that started. Well, in terms of the college, I uh, was in New York City, of course, practicing there and uh, decided, well, heard about this school in Charleston that was doing this. And they had a specialization in plaster, as we still do. And I said, gosh, that's really what I wanted when I was a child. We were in, my mother's family is from Savannah, and we went to a historic house there and uh, museum and went through and I looked up and saw this amazing plaster ceiling and I said oh mama what's that and she said it's architecture <laughs> and of course you know <laughs> after years of architecture school you soon discover that it was not in fact architecture <laughs> but uh, it did put me on a path of interest in classical and traditional architecture mm-hmm. I am uh, a fellow of the Institute of Classical Architecture in New York I'm a registered architect and have always been interested in antiques and decorative arts. So when the school came up, I, they kept asking me for, you know, ideas about curriculum and what was important. And I was saying, well, we've got to be able to draw. We have to recognize history. Um, we need to be able to travel and take them to Italy, which is my favorite place uh, to take them. We have to have preservation sequence classes, and we have to have AutoCAD as well, as well as technical drafting. So they kept asking all these ideas about curriculum. And at some point they're like, well, maybe you should come down and teach. And I was like, well, that wasn't, that was not part of the plan. (laughs) Very happy in New York. But something about that plaster that uh, if this course, uh, if this program had existed in the, uh, in the 1980s, 
I suppose I would have come there. And I think that's really what drew me to it. There had to be more kids like me that just really wanted to make beautiful things and understand how those pieces come together, put them in place, have a real connection to it, to understand something authentic and meaningful, and uh, to put it there and know it would be there, you know, very possibly longer than we are. And I think that I've heard this over and over from students and graduates, and it makes me know that I was right in that first plunge to move to Charleston, really primarily, I consider mm. Charleston my home at this point. And uh, I, th I, think, uh, I think I was right. How did you get interested in woodworking? I couldn't tell you. It just, as, as long as I can remember, I've always been trying to put stuff together, make stuff, whether it was wood or, I mean, wood just happened to be there. That was just mm. the, the accessible medium for mm -hmm. me. But I think right. it's just an innate thing in me and a lot of people who just have, they need to work with their hands. They need to build, they need to create. It's just something that's ingrained in us. Mm. Now you were with the Fondation Coubert for a year, yes? Yeah, for a year. And what brought you back? Visa problems. Oh, okay. Visa brought me back. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you're uh, supposed to get married, you know? Don't you know that? Yeah. <laughs> I was supposed to stay for another two to three years, but we, we had a, a visa that was denied based on, I guess they had a, some immigration reform with, mm -hmm. uh, at the time, I guess, the Syrian refugees and the paperwork that I signed and the contract I did was from 10, 15 years ago. So it wasn't up oh, to date at okay. all. And then there's problems with that. And then we kept going and going and it just, it just wasn't working out. So. And right now you're with an iron design shop. Yes. Yeah. So I'm working for uh, Robert Thomas iron design, just as a blacksmith making a, a lot of commercial work, large stuff like mm -hmm. spiral staircases and straight uh, staircases, gates. And we do do some small stuff like andirons and fire baskets and tables and stuff like that. But right. Mainly the large commercial work right now. Now in, in France at Atelier Saint-Jacques, you were learning repoussé. You were the first American, yes? In the restoration at Notre Dame? That's what they told me. I don't, obviously there's, there's no way to document that and there's no way to know, but they told they me I was the, the first. I would yeah. defer to them. <laughs> yeah. That's just what they told me, but. But I love that you were able to also continue on and work with uh, the master repousseur, uh, Serge Pascal. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I got really lucky while I was there, they were doing a, uh, they're restoring all the leaves on the um, main gate and grills for uh, Chateau Villepreux. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because of and my you also actually, worked at Versailles. Yeah, I did yeah. Uh, a couple things. I did some needles that were for furniture. There were these repousé needles with a string on it, and they would mm -hmm. string these uh, bits and bobs and decorative stuff and then sew up the back of the chairs with these things. And uh, I made a, a stair rail or one of the ladders on the, the, the top of the Chapelle Royale. But it was mainly, the main work I did was on uh, Villepoule. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was mainly because of the, the focus of the school was learning the old traditional techniques of forging by hand. That was the main focus. How different was that from the, uh, the, the College of Building Arts? 
I guess the way that the companions do it is uh, they're, they're less focused on the traditional and they're more focused on the end product. Mm -hmm. So they use a lot of modern tools. They really right. don't. There's this kind of a mysticism tied with forging in America, like the American blacksmiths love forging. That's the main focus. Whereas in France, it's just another tool and the large tool chests that they have to make, you know, ironwork or brass work or bronze work or any of that. So your so, skill set was much appreciated uh, as you came onto that uh, onto those jobs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the for the restoration and the handwork, I mean, having that that focus that I had that was given to me at ACPA really helped me to work with Serge and be able to have that position to be able to learn that kind of stuff. Whereas mm -hmm. I don't know where else you could learn that. William, do you have guest artisans? that come to the school as well as uh, to deepen or expand the experts who are already on staff? We do. And um, we have these in short segments that could be as little as a two-day uh, workshop, again, mm -hmm. that might be offered to the public. A lot of what we offer really cannot be offered to the public, but we use these um, short classes as an opportunity for students to cross-reference uh, mm -hmm. different skills. And so we'll bring people in for, say, two days, one week. Professor Hooper was there for eight weeks. She comes in in the, uh, in the spring and teaches uh, drawing from the live model and the cast and Bart method, mm -hmm. so uh, trained in, in Florence, Italy. And so, uh, yes, we do. We have our, our our, our standard full-time faculty, and then we bring rotating people in for, as, as I said, some very short things or some uh, relatively extended uh, teaching scenarios. Well, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the ADS Theat and to tell us more about the American College of Building Arts in Charleston. Mitch, it's always my great pleasure to see you and to talk about the college. Yeah, thank you so much, Mitch. Thank you very much. The ADS Theat is produced and edited by Diane Dragan and Emma Wartzman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com. <laughs>